Hi, and welcome to the Too Good to Waste podcast series. I want to take just a moment and thank our sponsors, the Upcycled Food Association and Net Zero for their ongoing support. The Upcycled Food Association is building a food system in which all food reaches its highest and best use. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a member or to support them by making a charitable donation, go to upcycledfood.org. And Net Zero, a modern food upcycling platform that helps power the safe capture and conversion of industrial food and beverage byproducts into new sustainable food ingredients at scale. You can learn more about Net Zero at netzro.us, powering Earth's food forward. I think people always forget entrepreneurship is probably one of the most loneliest endeavors. You're not working really with a lot of people unless you raise a ton of money and you're starting with a bunch of friends, but that's uh, a lot rarer than people would expect. Um, And so for me, this is definitely just like a very validating um, experience. It is tricky to get the supply chain in order. And as a new company, sometimes you have to decide, you know, morally what you want to do versus what you can actually afford. And so... Um, being a part of this cohort was so critical for us to allow us to continue to source the way we do and really focus on, on nailing our supply chain instead of having to just cave and buy whatever was cheapest. It really allowed us to do um, what we believed was the most important. At the heart of it, we were trying to create a circular economy where no coffee farmer goes hungry and no coffee fruit is wasted. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that the that, that mission aligns so clearly with the Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation at Kroger. Too good to waste. Too good to waste. Way too good to waste. Too good to waste. Absolutely. Hi, and welcome to the podcast series, Too Good to Waste. I'm your host, Kevin May, and together we're going on an adventure to explore some of the fun and creative and innovative ways that lots of people are doing their part to help find a higher value in unused food and food byproducts that might otherwise be wasted. So thanks for joining me. Let's go see if we can find out about some of these things that are too good to waste. Hey, welcome to another episode of the podcast, and man, we have a really special episode for you today, and we're actually doing something a little different and something we have not done before. So here's the deal. Let me set this up for you. In spring of 2021, the Kroger Company Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation collaborated with the folks at Village Capital to help source and understand and unlock capital to support innovative solutions that would prevent, recover, and recycle food waste. A really, really important task that they took on. Well, nearly 150 companies applied for this Innovation Fund cohort, and 10 of them were selected. So if you caught our last episode, episode number 23, it was called Teaming Up for Impact. We had a great conversation with Sonny Realhorn Parr and Allie Berman from Kroger and Kelly Bryan and Julia Fisher from Village Capital. In that conversation, we learned a lot about this Innovation Fund cohort, you know, what it is, how they're all working together on this initiative, and the impact potential from the companies that were selected this year. Well, in this episode, We're now going to talk with some of the founders from these 10 amazing companies that were selected for this 2021 cohort, and we're going to learn firsthand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what this opportunity means for them, their companies, and the positive impact that they're all striving for with their innovative solutions and products. Now, there's 10 companies, and we want to introduce you to all of them, but we couldn't do it all in one episode. So what we decided to do is to spread this out over a couple of episodes and we'll feature three to four companies in each one. In this first episode, we're gonna introduce you to the founders of three different companies, Grain for Grain, Agua Bonita, and Husky Beverages. So first up is Yoni Medden, one of the co-founders of the company Grain for Grain out of San Antonio. Yoni, thanks for taking the lead spot here and getting us kicked off. It's a pleasure having you here today. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me on and allowing me to share a story with your audience. So for anybody new to Grain for Grain that hasn't heard of your company before, why don't we get started off by giving us an intro to the company and the unique products you make? So Grain for Grain is the brainchild of my co-founder and I. Uh, The idea 
was originally birthed in college when we were um, when I was learning about beer and and um, also involved in entrepreneurship class. And the idea of the class was, you know, come up with an idea. And so I, as many other people who were brewing beer at the time, you learn about spent grain, you learn about the waste behind it. And so I uh, decided to try and look into that for the project. And then as I was learning more, um, it, you know, it, it never really kind of took fruition from there, but it was uh, just put in a drawer uh, for later. And so as I went into my career was uh, originally in oil and gas, um, I was starting to get a little bit dissatisfied with work and the locations I was being sent. So I thought to myself, okay, maybe there is another thing I could be doing. So I uh, resurfaced the idea and started really taking a much deeper dive into the technical issue of spent grain and what's going on with, uh, with this waste stream and byproduct stream from the breweries. And so um, as I began to dive in deeper, you begin to learn just the logistics challenges, the uh, food preservation challenges. So actually turning that uh, raw ingredient into a shelf stable ingredient. Um, and then you also get to learn about like, I learned about all these other companies that have attempted to, to dive into it as well. And so, as I'm learning more and more, we really decided to give it a full effort. So I spent about, uh, I would say, two years trying to find a technical solution to take spent grains from breweries efficiently from multiple locations, bringing them to a central location, and then in a very cost-effective way, turning that into an, a, an ingredient in a food-safe manner. And so uh, we were able to come up with our patent-pending invention, which essentially allows us to take in um, up to roughly about a million pounds a month of, of spent grain, and we're able to uh, convert that. Uh, sorry, I did the math wrong there. Um, roughly about uh, 500,000 pounds a month, and then we're able to convert that to about 100,000, a little over 100,000 dry pounds per month. Uh, and then dry is essentially flour. And so um, uh, we were able to come up with this invention and then launched in 2018 uh, with some of our own products to introduce it into the marketplace. Um, and hence where the name Grain for Grain came from was a, was a play on words as far as both for our donation arm. We, uh, whenever we uh, sell flour, we actually donate a portion of it just because we're able to produce it so cheaply. And then two, uh, it, it's almost just like kind of taking something that was already had value in, a, in an, an underutilized food asset and then giving it more uh, value. And so that's essentially that byproduct, which is all protein and fiber, all the carbs are removed and we're now taking that protein and fiber rather than sending it to waste, giving it value and then giving it back to uh, people to eat. So um, a lot of, I guess, yeah, a lot, a lot there going on, but that's essentially the crux of what grain for grain is and how it came to be. Well, that's fantastic. And, and I really love the kind of the mission-based concept of this company. Like you said, you're taking a product that would otherwise have been wasted, but you're bringing it into or keeping it in the food supply chain. And I really was impressed. I, I read the, about that on your website, about this concept of donating to local organizations, some of this, because that's, you're, you're now tackling, you know, uh, food insecurity and providing and bringing it back into, like I said, not just into the food supply chain, but into areas where it is much needed. So um, I really, really great concept. And that brings me to the question that I want to know about you. Tell me about life before Grain for Grain. You touched on it a little bit, but let's go farther back. What, what's, what was your upbringing like that got you kind of passionate about doing something like this? Yeah, so I have, I have a very, um, I guess, an unconventional upbringing. So my my parents are immigrants, so I'm first-generation American, so they came to this country with uh, literally nothing um, from Ethiopia. So they escaped uh, during the wartime um, in the in the early 80s and came to this country. And um, from there, I got a very unique upbringing. So grew up both uh, pretty poor and then also... Uh, watched my parents really succeed a lot, and then so got to see kind of both sides of the coin as I grew, as I grew up. Um, but then also just had like a high level of independence. Um, had to kind of figure stuff out for myself, and um, and was able to I guess utilize that. My dad's an engineer, and so he had an engineering uh, part of his career has been engineering, and so followed in his his footsteps to just more like understanding technical solutions to problems. And so, uh, yeah, it was just very, very unconventional. I grew up both in like a really poor area and then like a really, um, I guess, more affluent area. I 
my my family had a, a planted a church in that poor area so i got to see both sides uh very often um and so that just gave me like just a really unique perspective in terms of people and how to relate to different people and then always finding ways to uh better serve communities um my my whole my whole upbringing and my entire life um revolves around both faith but most importantly just like how do i how do I position myself to better serve people? Um, and so it's definitely challenging. It's, it's really hard. And so it uh, takes a lot of grit, I guess. Um, yeah. And it's definitely not easy, uh, but I've definitely gotten to go through a lot of hard stuff. And so that has definitely prepared me to eventually stumble upon a problem and, and apply a solution. And so, I mean, it, it sounds easier than that, but I guess or it sounds much easier than it, it was in reality, but the, the concept is still there and that um, my mindset was already there. So it was just a matter of time when I would find a problem that was interesting enough, uh, but also large enough where it would make, it would make sense for, for myself to pursue it. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a point that I think is really important and, and it's a perfect uh, transition into this next question that I have for you, which is really the amount of work, the dedication, the integrity and of everything that goes into starting and building a company. And you're right, I think a lot of people see these little pop-up companies and just think, oh, wow, that's cool. It just, uh, they had an idea and next thing you know, they have a big company. It clearly isn't that and and it takes a lot. And I think a lot of people don't always understand or appreciate what goes on behind the scenes. So I wanna acknowledge and first of all, congratulate you on being selected by the uh, Kroger Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation um, in this 2021 innovation fund cohort and as an entrepreneur and a ceo of a startup i mean what does something like that mean to you i mean you've, you've put a lot of work into it but clearly a lot of what you have done already uh was more than likely a big player in why you got selected but what does that mean for you as an entrepreneur personally and as a, a the owner and the, the builder of this business uh, i mean it's hugely validating you know i mean and you mentioned like all the hard work that went into it and um, all the uh, miss attempts and mistakes and all these things that, that have kind of uh, found its fruition into like finally getting us accepted. Um, so it's just, I think validating is the best word for it. Um, you know, you work really hard and I think people always forget entrepreneurship is probably one of the most loneliest endeavors. You're not working really with a lot of people unless you raise a ton of money and you're starting with a bunch of friends, but that's uh, a lot rarer than people would expect. Um, and so for me, this is definitely just like a very validating um, experience. And so um, less about, you know, the money or the less about the resources that we're getting, which are all extremely useful and beneficial. And we've definitely been enjoying all of the tremendous advantages that being involved with Kroger has been. So we're hugely grateful for all of that. The most, I think the most poignant thing is that, yeah, we just feel validated that, Hey, you have a good idea and we want to help you expand on that idea. So that's been really uh, rewarding. That's great to hear. And so as you go through a process like this and the, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode with the, the folks from the Kroger and from Village Capital, and they explained the process to us a little bit. So when you're going through it, was there any, you know, kind of unexpected surprises for you or any kind of like aha moments or light bulb moments that, you know, in spite of how long you've been working at this, something that when someone from a different perspective might uh, uncover something or shine a light on something, it, it kind of gave you a new idea that you hadn't thought of. Yeah. So there's, um, and my, my co-founder Matt had actually been harping on this years ago. Like we're talking 2018, 2017. And, um, you know, I, I, I agree with him on this and that, um, you know, people do not understand sustainability yet. It's, mm -hmm. it's coming really from a top down kind of from a, ESG, so you're you're kind of from a more corporate level standpoint where folks are trying to drive sustainability into the marketplace. And my concept has always been, and, and Matt as well, is that while that is all good and, and has, you know, and that's not, not at all a bad thing, the, the problems with that is that folks just don't understand sustainability. And so a lot of people during this, during that week, kind of we're, we're, we're echoing that sentiment and saying, you know, like 
sustainability is, is a challenge and how do we make more sustainable food, more sustainable businesses, more sustainable uh, uh, transactions, uh, supply chains, all, all of it. And so uh, for me, I, I felt like for something that altruistic, when somebody wants to spend money um, to, to purchasing something, very few people are either have the wealth to be able to do that or the mindset to be spending consciously like that. It's going to take a ton more education, starting from when people are young, to understand the value of that. So, I've I've been kind of my 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 standpoint has always been you have to find other ways to incentivize people to be able to do that without really like breaking the bank. And so, for example, offering things that taste great, offering mm-hmm. things that are healthier, offering things that might even be cheaper or very competitively priced. If you do those things then people who are wanting to uh, find sustainable stuff will, will realize those benefits and will be able to share sustainability with other people in the news about it and why it's important. But for folks that don't really shop or care about it, for them to enter into that doorway and for us to really make an impact here, we have to do it at a wide scale. Um, for those folks, you have to kind of find a way to get them in through the door. And so it was it was great to see like, really brilliant people that Kroger was bringing on say those things and saying like, it's going to take a ton of education. So in the meanwhile, what are we doing to get people through the door? And I was like, well, you know, it's got to taste good or it's got to be cheap enough for them to buy um, at, at, at mass scale. And so that was, that was one of the, uh, that was one of the things that felt that, that I felt was like really cool to hear is just like saying, okay, I'm not, I don't think I'm necessarily wrong on this. Maybe I'm not like totally right, but I don't think I'm wrong um, uh, from that standpoint where folks have been really focusing on marketing or advertising sustainability. Um, And to me, I'm like, what does that mean when somebody has no idea what that means? And what does that mean to them, you know, when they're about to make a purchase with their money? Um, So that's, that's, uh, yeah, that was very interesting to hear from those folks. Yeah. And so did that now having kind of really, having having that solidified for you and um as you say i'll use your word from before validated even just in this concept of sustainability what does it really mean and how does it equate to people's buying habits and education and all did that lead you to any slight shift in your business in how you maybe address your marketing or address your customer base or anything like that? Or did it also kind of just validate that the way you've been positioning your company, you're on the right path? So I have, um, I would say we, we, we adjusted it only a little bit. Um, it was more or less of, and what I mean by that is we had already taken the standpoint that, you know, we're not going to call our flour sustainably made flour or mm-hmm. even spent grain flour. We call it a keto flour. Um, and, and exactly for that reason, because um, it, it, while it is sustainable, keto just is going to resonate more and people understand that. And then you can share with them why it's keto. And so all that, all it really did was um, encourage me to now when I'm developing prototypes or when I'm working with much of our larger customers who purchase our ingredients in bulk for both food service or their own CPG items. Um, it encouraged me to really push that the fact that, hey, yes, it tastes good. We have to do a lot of the effort right now and really harping that on early on so that our customers, when they're wanting to purchase this, just because you know it, it does accomplish some of their ESG goals and sustainability goals as a company, um, I'm like, well, you know, it has to sell as well. And so how we're going to do that is we're going to make it taste good. And this is how we're going to do that. And so just making sure that my delivery to customers is, is way more poignant on those things um, after, after the innovation fund. And so it, we, it's not that we were not doing that. We're just doing that way more. And we're focusing on that way more early on. Yeah, that's great. And that, that's, it's always nice to see that. And it's basically fine tuning and, and right out of the gate, I, I love the whole concept of, you know, kind of being able to share what you're creating with those who may not be able to afford it. You talked about the cost and, and these things have to be competitively priced or priced at a price point that isn't excessive where it's accessible to everybody and you, you've already done that and, and if they don't have the money to do it through organizations you're obviously making it available to people who may not otherwise have access to it so i love that that's great um if you could 
you know, what I was, what I'd love to know is what is something when you look back at what you've created with grain for grain, where you've come to date and where you want to go, what is something you would say about your company that you are most proud of? Oh man. Um, you know, the, the thing that makes me the most proud of is the technology in that, um, you know, it, it took a lot of work to finally get to this point where we're at this year, um, especially through COVID and the fact that we're still alive. Um, and so the thing that makes me most proud of is one that we're around still. Um, but two is, is that, you know, we did something that, I mean, we're talking Cargill, Mars, Unilever, um, even ABN Bev until really this year when they launched Evergreen. Um, I mean, I know they've been working on it for a few years. Um, Miller Coors, bunch of folks have been trying, and um, you know we're we're the we we did it. It's like it feels so cool to be able to say like, hey, we really did something um, pretty pretty amazing that it you know teams of R and D folks have haven't been able to accomplish, um, and so that that just feels really uh, encouraging. Um, that, that we've been able to get to this point. Well, that's great. And congratulations to all of your successes and wish you many, many more. Let's find out, you know, tell me about where people can go to learn more about your company, to buy some of your products and to follow you. Yeah. So um, depending on where people are, you know, we're, we're in grocery stores in, in HEB in, in Texas. Um, so people can find our, our original pancake mix and just pure spank grain flour um, and, and shelves. And then as far as like where they can find us online, we're launching uh, uh, four new SKUs. So we have chocolate pancake mix, keto breadings, a one-to-one flour replacement that uses spank grain flour, and then, of, of course, the spank grain flour itself. Um, and people will be able to find that on Amazon in a few weeks. So that'll be available for purchase um and so by i guess really by mid-august and then um and then as far as our social and places where they can follow us um you know they can find find myself or or the company on linkedin they can find us on instagram or facebook at grain for grain um we're revamping kind of the way we communicate with customers it's been a one-man show so we're finally bringing on help uh to really help us communicate with folks so our newsletter will be much better um so folks want to go and subscribe to that on their website at grainforgrain.com. And then hopefully, you know, as we grow and and find more grocery stores to put our products in. And then um, as far as wholesale goes, uh, eventually, hopefully by the end of the year, if people are following us on any of these channels, they'll find where to buy our products uh, or our products made with our flour in restaurants um, or food chains. hopefully by the end of the year or beginning of next year. So we're working with a number of folks to get our flour and some, uh, and some products. So as soon as we're able to announce that, once those NDAs uh, allow us to, then uh, we'll make those announcements. So that'll be exciting um, as well. Well, you got a lot of great things in the works. And um, just a reminder, it's grain for the number four, grain for grain.com. And we'll have the links that you mentioned on the show notes page as well for this episode. You know, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated this opportunity to talk to you and to have you a part of this very special episode. Yeah, honestly, the pleasure is all mine. Um, Again, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, wish you well. Thank you. So next, I have the opportunity to talk with Kayla Castaneda and Aaron Pontel. They're the founders of the company Agua Bonita, and they're known for their refreshing beverages known as Agua Frescas. So Kayla and Aaron, thanks so much for being here today. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Thanks so much for having us. So why don't we start off with a little bit of an intro to your company, Agua Bonita? Well, Agua Bonita is the first line of better for you aguas frescas in ready to drink form known for their amazing so, real aguas fruit frescas aguas frescas Kayla and Aaron, welcome to this special episode fresh fruit, non-sparkling water and a ton of added sugar um but what's special about agua bonita is we use none of that added sugar and instead sometimes we even use spices to get those culturally uh aligned flavors. So it's really, really special to be bringing this to market in the first of its kind drink. So what's the history a little bit behind um, Aguas Frescas or these types of drinks? I I know there's some cultural history to them. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's funny because 
Aguas Frescas are actually the most popular um, drink across Latin America. And lots of different cultures have their own versions and their own riffs um, on it. So I grew up always having Aguas Frescas in the home. Even now, like uh, with my boyfriend's mom, she's home with us and is always making Aguas Frescas in our house. So it's really like a very popular Mexican staple. Um, so they've they've been around for centuries and uh, conceptually very, very simple, just fresh fruit water and sometimes a sweetener. Uh, so I don't even know where to begin with the history because it feels like they've been around forever. <laughs> and it, well, like you said, it sounds like it's a fairly simple drink that a lot of us would do. You just get some, you know, water, if you will, and then add some fr- some flavoring to it. But, you know, when you're making yours with Agua Bonita, what is what are some of the things that make it really unique with the flavors that you put into it? Uh, well, there's a few things. So obviously we are non-sparkling and we're canned and no added sugar. Um, but then, yeah, our flavor profiles are really unique. So we have um, watermelon chile and like we have a mango habanero coming out soon. And those flavor profiles are... Um, obviously spicy, and that's a little bit different than anything that's out on the market. But those flavors are, and those flavors combination in particular, are really popular um, cultural flavors. So that makes us a little bit unique there. Um, and then the other really great thing that I know Aaron can talk about more is um, that we actually rescue produce in the process of making our drinks. So there's a few things that make Albanita very special um, in comparison to other things that are out on the market and even just in comparison to traditional aguas frescas. Excellent. And yes, Aaron, I would love to know more about that. Tell us a little bit about where some of these flavors come from and the the fruits and the different spices or whatever you put into them. For those who don't know, about 30% of all produce grown in the the United States currently uh, goes directly to landfill just because it's the wrong shape, size, or color usually. So grocery stores have very particular... um, shapes and sizes of everything they want uh, for stores and anything that doesn't fit that exact mold literally goes straight from field and farm to landfill, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's one of the top contributors to greenhouse gases and um, it's just all terrible. So what we do is we uh, source farms, mostly in California currently, because we are both based in California and uh, within a hundred miles of where Kayla lives is uh, 60% of the nation's produce. So we have a little bit of an upper hand there and a lot of access to great produce. Uh, So we source what we need. So for example, our watermelon chile flavor, uh, there's a farm right outside of Yosemite that we source our watermelons from and any scarred melons they have. So perfectly good. They just have a scar or two on the outside, but the inside's perfectly fine. Normally they wouldn't be able to sell those to grocery stores. So they would get tossed. Instead, they juice them, turn them into concentrates, and then we use those in our blends, which allows us to save um, at least a pound of produce per can that we sell. So every can of our beverage that you drink is actively saving produce, um, which we think is a really important um, uh, sourcing practice that we would love other people to uh, bring on as well. Well, yes, and you know, I, I love these types of stories. And so not only is it a unique beverage and it's got some cultural history, but it also is in keeping up with where we are right now and where we need to go with sustainability and with keeping food, unused food in the food supply chain, you all are really tackling that. And and I think it's really neat to see how you've combined all of that into this amazing beverage. Um, I'd love to go back a little bit and either one of you can start to just, you know, kind of an origin story of, of both of you. Where did, you know, where, Where did you get this interest in this? And then how did your paths cross that you both met? Yeah, so, um, so Agua Bonita, like I said, Agua's frescas were always a part of my family growing up. And when I was younger, my grandpa would bring home uh, super ripe fruit from the fields after work, and they would get turned into aguas frescas. So I grew up with lots of aguas frescas in the home. Um, but as I got older, you know, I wanted that same feeling of our culture and our celebration and that refreshment, but without all of the added sugar. And professionally, I had worked in a few different capacities for corporations, a lot on like the sales and then food and beverage side. Um, But then I started working for Coca-Cola for a few years um, in market development in their California region. And 
that's really where I learned a ton about like the business of beverages. Um, and Mm -hmm. after a while of doing that and really getting to learn about like the small businesses, the big businesses, the customers, like what, what works, what doesn't work. Um, I wanted to lend my skills to some projects that, um, I could be a little bit closer to and were more meaningful. So I started working as a consultant, um, specifically for food and beverage startups and And um, I took a job at a beverage startup actually the week that the global pandemic was announced. And that is where I first met Erin. And so I graduated from Stanford and then worked at a bunch of Silicon Valley tech startups like a lot of people do. Um, And then I moved into law for six years and worked for some pretty large corporations, um, which was fun and exciting, but slowly began to kill my soul a little bit. And I wasn't really doing anything net positive for the planet or for anyone. Um, And so I went back and uh, met these two guys in San Francisco who had a beverage startup where they rescued um, produce um, and uh, juiced them overnight and sold them directly to offices. So a bit of a different business model, but um, I really loved what they were doing and it really opened my eyes to how huge of a problem food waste was. Um, and it became something very near and dear to my heart. Um, so last April, I went on maternity leave. And so Kayla was coming on board to help cover for me. Um, and as a consultant, consultant, as she mentioned, so I interviewed her and we worked together for just a week. Um, and then I went and had a baby in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and then I came back from maternity leave to the news. The company was shutting down because obviously as, um, their primary business model was direct offices and offices no longer existed. Um, it just was not sustainable. So Kayla and I, um, chatted and lamented a little bit that we weren't really ready to give up on beverages in general or the mission of, uh, food waste. And so we, uh, texted a bit back and forth, um, and sort of just had an aha moment of why don't we just start our own company and Agua Benita was born. Wow. What a great story. Congratulations on your new baby, by the way. And so now not only do you have a new little one born, but you also have a new company born, which is fantastic. And, you know, really a lot coming out of this past year for both of you, it sounds like. So this is an important question then as entrepreneurs and founders, co-founders of this fairly new startup, what does it mean for both of you that your company was now selected as part of the Kroger Company's Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation's 2021 Innovation Fund cohort. How does that help a company like yours really get going at this critical stage? Well, it's a huge accomplishment and a lot of validation, I would say. Having a big company like Kroger come in and say, you know, your idea is valid and your idea should be celebrated and we want to be there to help you grow this and elevate your business um, is major for businesses. I mean, businesses in general, but especially businesses like ours where, you know, like having such a tricky supply chain or having, you know, like a triple bottom line, like we, you know, rescue produce and then we give back to the communities that help our product um even be possible. So, you know, a lot of aligning a lot of those things takes a lot of work, which also sometimes means a lot of capital or a lot of resources and a lot of connections that you need. And Kroger, um, you know, accepting us into their cohort for um, this year is very, very validating and um, very, uh, very helpful um, to get to that next stage and to continue the fight that we've um, embarked on. Yeah, I was just going to echo what Kayla said. And I think, too, um, it is tricky to get the supply chain in order. And as a new company, sometimes you are you have to decide, you know, morally what you want to do versus what you can actually afford. And so um, being a part of this cohort was so critical for us to allow us to continue to source the way we do and really focus on on nailing our supply chain instead of having to just cave and buy whatever was cheapest. It really allowed us to do um, what we believed was the most important. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Kroger for allowing us to make such big, um, impactful decisions in our business as we scale. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, from talking with all the folks at uh, the Kroger Zero Hunger Zero Waste Foundation and with Village Capital, that what they were saying, and it sounds like you're saying a similar thing, is that it wasn't just 
capital that you needed, but it was also guidance and kind of help and, and, you know, different perspectives on things through the mentoring or through the boot camp that you all did, you know, as you went through this process with the rest of the cohort, were there any kind of unexpected little surprises or aha or light bulb moments that really kind of got uncovered for you as you went through it? I'm not sure if I would say um surprises because mm-hmm. we really did trust in Kroger to put together like such a great program um i would just say like we were pleasantly surprised i guess to have such a helpful um cohort group because we are really able to rely not just on Kroger and Village Capital but also the uh, cohort members so that's really great like you know getting to um, have people so open with their business models and helping us improve ours and vice versa um, was probably you know something that I don't know if we necessarily expected. We expected Kroger to put on a world-class program um, because they're Kroger Um, but I think just building the camaraderie that they've been able to build for us has been um, a very, very nice uh, perk to the program too. Wonderful. I think being in the food waste uh, industry, it's a little bit so far. We hope that changes in the future years, but um, paths have crossed before. And I think a lot of people know each other, but there's a lot of, um, in, uh, people we've met in our past year of being a company that, you know, we don't necessarily need their particular um, uh, food waste product, but being able to introduce those people to our cohort has been really helpful and vice versa. So we've gotten some amazing introductions and we're really helping. Um, it's like a domino effect of helping each other and then rescuing more produce as time goes on. Yeah, that, that sounds like a nice success story too. And so here's a question for each of you and Kayla, we'll start with you. What, what would you say is one thing that you are most proud of with the company that you have created to this to date, basically? The thing that I am most proud of um, that we've created with Agua Bonita is that we have managed to create a product in our likeness that's really a cultural reflection of ourselves on shelves and even the practices that uh, we culturally uh, depend on, like upcycling and things like that. Like I talk about, you know, like my grandpa brought home fruit from the fields and sometimes that was just like a necessity and like Awas Frescas, the origin is like, you know, you try to create something that can stretch a long way. And so it's been really nice to create something yeah in our cultural likeness uh, that is such a beautiful representation of a lot of different things of um, of my people oh so beautifully said Kayla thanks so much and Aaron how about you what's something that you would say you're most proud of I'm just really proud of how much Kayla and I have been able to accomplish in just a year with uh, very little money um, I think we both are pretty creative and scrappy in general, but um, we have grown to where we are today with no money spent on marketing today and just um, having to get really creative of how to stretch a dollar. And I think that um, does come from both of our pasts and also our past experiences. But um, I think we've been able to really build a community and a, a really a brand that a lot of people do identify with without spending any money on marketing to date. Hopefully that will change soon, but um, I'm just really proud of what we've been able to uh, build. Yeah. Especially during a pandemic too. And like I mentioned, Kayla has two little ones at home. I have a baby and it's just been, it's been a very long year, but, um, instead of, you know, letting it beat us down, we've really built something beautiful that I'm very proud of. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) No, no. I was just going to say like, we literally always tell everyone like (laughs) when life gives you lemons, make all frescas because that's exactly what happened to us. <laughs> I love that line. I may steal it. When life gives you lemons, make aguas frescas. That's that's beautiful. What a, what a great way to punctuate this. And congratulations to both of you. I mean, you truly have done an amazing job, as you say, with all things going on. A brand new baby for you, Aaron. Two babies at home for you, Kayla. And a pandemic, nonetheless, which has been incredibly challenging. I mean, a lot of well-established businesses had difficulty and a lot of them didn't even make it. And you're building a business in the midst of all of this, which is just stunning. And I have to say, for having spent no money on marketing, you've got over 10,000 followers on Instagram, which is incredible. And uh, so speaking of that, 
let us know, tell us a little bit about where we can find your products and how to find you and follow you on social. Currently, you can find us um, on our website, which is drinkaguabonita.com. And then our handles for everything are the same. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at drinkaguabonita. And on TikTok, <laughs> we're, we're getting into that game soon. Um, we're doing our best. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and then you'll soon see us um, in some major retailers in the next month across Southern California. So keep your eyes open. Absolutely. Well, I wish you all the very best, continued success, and we'll definitely continue to follow you. Thank you both so much for taking the time and being on this very special episode with us. Thank you so much. Well, for my third guest today, I had the opportunity to talk with Crawford Hawkins. Crawford is the co-founder and CEO of Husky Beverages, a company with a great mission to improve the well-being of farmers, consumers, and our environment. Crawford, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for taking the time to be here. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So, Crawford, I got to ask you right away, you know, the name Husky Beverages. Where did that come from? Tell us a little bit about the name and also about your products and what makes them so unique. Yeah, so the name Husky, uh, quite simply, derives from the fact that we made our first formulation uh, out of the husk of the coffee fruit. Uh, Many people don't know that coffee comes from a fruit. It's actually a very... Um, uh, nutritious superfruit, uh, cherry, and we we originally took the the dried husk of organic coffee fruit to make our first batch. We've actually improved uh, to use more of the coffee fruit to make a bigger impact and have more function. Um, but um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it all derives from the mission to uh, use upcycled. Uh, coffee fruit to reduce food waste and to give farmers extra income. And, uh, you know, that leads directly into kind of my origin story and how, how I got to this uh, really, really started at the farm level. So let's get into that a little bit. Tell us about, I mean, I've done a little bit of research on you and I see that your background was not in necessarily in entrepreneurship and startups is certainly not in the, these types of beverages. Tell us a little bit about what led you to this, where, what were you doing before this and how did you end up uh, starting Husky? So I spent about 13 years in finance. I was, um, uh, you know, worked in investment banking and then went on to, to, to work at a very large hedge fund and ended up starting uh, with some small seed capital, my own fund. Um, and I was doing that and kind of, uh, you know, all the while really had this entrepreneurial spirit, this urge to create that uh, I think I was just subduing for the sake of, of, of uh, the pursuit of profit. And I, you know, went through a series of life events, actually. And, um, and right before the pandemic, uh, I, I ended up shutting down the fund um, and going to Colombia, South America, uh, kind of on a whim. And it was there that I toured a coffee farm. It was really a three-day visit. And on the third day, I toured a coffee farm in a small village um, in, uh, in Antioquia, where, where Medellin is. And I something clicked for me. I had, I had done mission trips as a, as a child with my um, my parents. They're both priests and with their church in, in, in Honduras. And I started to um, kind of have this this urge to, to get deeper into, um, into that world. And, uh, that's, that's how it started. It was really that day. And I ended up going back to New York, um, packing a bigger bag and going back to Columbia, living on a coffee farm, traveling throughout the, the various coffee growing regions of Columbia, developing deep, deep relationships, uh, there. And, um, that's where I started to, to discover the problems, um, that, that I wanted to tackle. What were some of these problems that you're, you're describing? So you're down there, you you get inspired to stay down there or to go back down there and spend some time there. What was it that really kind of moved you so much to do that and which kind of like, as you say, led to the discovery of some of the issues that they're facing? Yeah, so at the time, um, there was a lot of poverty. There was, there was um, you know, half a million coffee farmers. Many are, are working on less than two acres of land. Um, and there are many of them are selling for less than their cost of production. So I really noticed that uh, there's a vibrant coffee business, $500 billion business. There's billions of cups of coffee consumed every year, and the prices are only going higher. 
um, at the pump or at the retail level, and 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 the the producers are are not really seeing that benefit. Um, and then the other thing was there were piles and piles of coffee food, coffee fruit wasted. Um, you know they use it for for sort of fertilizer and and for for um, you know. For other purposes around the farm, but at the end of the day, there's lots of pulp and 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 husk of the fruit that's actually piling up and and being discarded. And so that was something that sort of mystified me, and I wondered why, um, you know, that wasn't being consumed more uh, more globally. And so those were two major problems. Well, how, so you see this husk and you see them using it as fertilizer and maybe some biofuel type thing, but what? How did you figure out or what, what made you think to look at that as something that you could actually use and keep in a beverage or in the food supply chain? Yeah, so it was actually one one afternoon. Um, you know, I'd, I'd been picking coffee in the morning and actually working, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a recollector or, or coffee picker. And then in the afternoon, the, the owner of the, the farm made me a cup of Warm um, cascara tea, so using the husk of the of the fruit and steeping it, um, and I was really blown away. Actually, at first I didn't like the flavor, but I was blown away by the 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 boldness and the distinctiveness of the flavor. And it was that at that moment I said, "Wow, there's something here." Um, and I started to, to to ask lots of questions and dive deeper into that. Um, but, but frankly, actually, the first business I launched was not a beverage business at all. Um, I, I attempted to, to solve the two problems, um, mainly the, the, the inequalities uh, in the supply chain, by launching a fintech platform where you could tip a coffee farmer at a coffee shop. Um, and we were calling that propina, which means tip in Spanish. Um, but we really weren't able... For, mainly the pandemic, but we also just really weren't able to get industry support and funding for it. So I had to make a pivot. And I think that's what, you know, all entrepreneurs will will, will point to those moments where you sort of have the do or die moment or decision where you need to make a pivot. Um, and it's it was important to me at the time to keep that mission, the underlying mission um, uh, intact when we made this pivot. And that's how um, Husky came about. We actually, my co-founder and I were in a small New York City apartment, and we ordered uh, about 200 pounds of coffee husk from uh, Honduras and Colombia, and started pulled out the soda stream and started sampling and and developing our first formulation. What does it take? I, I know everybody. We talk to a lot of founders and who have ideas, but it takes so much more than an idea to go from concept to creation of an actual product. And as you said, you you had the the first business idea, and then you pivoted to this one. What what kind of landed you on? Like you said, you you, you were trying some uh, stuff in your apartment. Where do you go from there? Now you try some of this and say, okay, cool. We've got some sparkling water. We've got this coffee husk. You can make somewhat of a, a brew out of it. How do you take that to a commercialization? What, what's the next level? Because that's, I'm guessing that's not really your background, you know, in the, in the uh, finance space, but now to commercialize, you're now all of a sudden this entrepreneur. What were the steps that you had to take to kind of now bring this into the marketplace? Yeah, so I kind of laid out, um, you know, it's first of all, it's being self-aware and knowing what my experience is and what I lack and then finding ways to fill that void. So I kind of laid out um, the steps for what it would take to, to make this, you know, to get from pilot to, you know, into grocery chains, to, to, to talk to Kroger and, and the largest, you know, um, grocery in the U.S. and get to that point. And then I, and then I quickly dialed in on who I knew that had experience and I reached out to advisors. I have dozens of, of folks that worked um, from, from you know, a couple that worked at Starbucks, that worked at Blue Bottle Coffee, that uh, several that started their own food and beverage companies, uh, a great advisor who worked at Coca-Cola and Honest Tea. And I just reached out to the smartest, uh, most experienced people I knew and asked lots of questions, really, ex you know, exposed my vulnerabilities, but, learned from everyone and uh, moved pretty quickly and probably too quickly at, at times because, um, you know, we were just, you know, we were, we were eager to get the product out there and to get to get it tested. Um, but we went from, you know, August uh, of last year, formulating the beverage to producing our first batch uh, in, in 
in the late November, um, and then testing the product through for the next six months and gathering feedback and data. Um, and that was key is, is, is learning, you know, you're constantly learning every day. Um, your first, I think any entrepreneur who started a you know, food and beverage company will say that the first batch um, may be and their first packaging may be very different from what finally made it onto shelves or what finally made it more mainstream. Um, so that's what we've done this year. And that's why we've actually improved our formulation um, and are focusing on more function and more flavor um, as a result uh, from, from what we started with. We're actually, like I said, using more than just the husk. We're using um, more, more of the coffee fruits to provide more flavor. And we're adding prebiotic fiber as well to, to augment that function. So real quick, tell us what the flavors are you currently have of your beverages, because I think that's really unique. Yeah, so we have uh, lemon, orange, and grapefruit, three different uh, SKUs, and, and definitely in the citrus citrus family. One, one thing we noted early on was, you know, the, the, the fruits uh, and citrus that, that, that coexist um, in the regions where coffee is produced blend very nicely with with the flavor profile that we were coming up with. And so, um, and, and consumers are craving citrus. So, so that was a nice, nice uh, trend to follow for us. Well, and I have to acknowledge that you mentioned you're talking about November of last year and, you know, somebody might be listening to this podcast two, three, four, five years from now, and I hope they are, but what was going on in November of last year was we were right in the middle of this, uh, coronavirus pandemic. And so, you're now starting a new company. You pivoted and you're building a company right in the middle of a pandemic. Um, what was that like for you? I mean, did, did that add another layer of complexity to trying to develop something at that very moment? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was terrifying. Um, there, you know, one of the interesting thing, not only was there so much uncertainty and it was difficult to, to introduce new products in such an uncertain time, there was also a unique shortage of aluminum cans in the uh, the beverage space. So I'm here trying to start a new beverage with aluminum cans and there was no, there were no aluminum cans to be found. Um, so I, that was, that offered an, uh, an interesting puzzle for us to solve for as well. But at the end of the day, I, you know, it was, it was a tremendous challenge. It, one thing it did offer when you're starting a business, you know, you need to take a lot of time for reflection and and strategizing, and, and it did force us to be a little more methodical um, because you know you're you're not going to get onto shelves quite as quickly. Um, we knew that maybe it would take coming out of the pandemic or getting a vaccine and having life return to normalcy in six to twelve months before we got onto shelves. And so I was kind of forced to to think about a variety of things. One was sort of cash burn and how do I manage cash burn if it's going to take a little bit longer than I may have originally modeled. And, 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 and two, you know, how do we test? You can't, you can't sit in front of stores as easily and test the product and gather the feedback that you need. So we had to be a little more strategic around that and um, target areas where that was available more in Florida, in the Florida market, for example, we were able to do some more testing and get feedback from consumers um, and improve the product accordingly. But that was a very big challenge. I think all, all food and beverage entrepreneurs or, or even even folks running Coca-Cola and the largest companies out there will, will attest that it was a very big challenge for everyone. Yeah. And so and continues to be. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's why I mean, I have huge, a huge admiration for what you're doing and the kind of the persistence that it takes to start something and then to continue to build it through when you have these other challenges, supply chain challenges and things like that going on. So that leads me into this really incredible opportunity that came along and um, you were one of just 10 companies selected out of, I think, nearly 150 companies that applied for the Kroger Company's Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation's uh, Innovation Fund cohort. And, you know, so as an entrepreneur of a, in kind of an early stage startup, what did that mean to you? And how, how important is that in the business world as, a, as an entrepreneur to be kind of uh, selected in something like this, specifically this particular cohort? How is that helping you or what does that mean for you and your business? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's kind of three things. You know, one is funding, obviously. Um, the second is validation. And the third is, is um, you know, is is learning and, and, and education, really, because uh, I think you're constantly learning as you're starting a new business. And first of all, funding, I mean, we, you know, been self-funded and um, it can be very nerve-wracking. Um, 
being self-funded doesn't mean I'm not trying to raise money. I was out there trying to raise money, continue to try to raise money. And that's, that's what, you know, you'll always be doing as you start a business. So that was, um, frankly, I, 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 I was in tears of joy when I found out the news about Kroger. Um, they're, they're a great partner and they've, they've, they've seen the underlying mission behind this all. And so that's the, the validation component. I think, you know, at the heart of it, we are trying to create a circular economy where no coffee farmer goes hunger, hungry and no coffee fruit is wasted. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that the, that, that mission aligns so, so clearly with the zero hunger, zero waste foundation at Kroger. Um, and so, and then the third is the opportunity to learn. I mean, you know, the other, the other members of this cohort are, uh, uniquely talented and impressive and doing wonderful things with upcycled, um, uh, produce and, and fruits and, and, um, and, and also technology. And, and we're learning so much from them and improving our business and our approach and go to market at the same time. And I think it's been invaluable. And, um, you know, we've, we've improved our value proposition over the course of this based on feedback from these other, um, these other members of the innovation fund. And I think we're, we're poised to, to really reap the benefits of that and, 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 Build this impact that we're trying to to achieve on the world. That's that's great to hear, and so that was kind of leads me to my next question, which was through this process, and we talked a lot about it with um, you know with Ali and Sonny and Julian um, Kelly in the last episode, and they were describing to us this process that you went through, this intense week long boot camp, if you will. But then it's not just that's not the end; it continues now for six months, and we're right about in the middle of that. So as you go through this, as you said, you know it's validated it's capital, and it's also kind of the collaboration and, and communication with these other cohort members. Have there been any particular like standout revelations for you or, or aha moments that uh, unexpected surprises, something that came out of this that you never kind of saw coming um, by being a part of a group like this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, you mentioned the first week, um, you know, you have a very intense, there's a very intense peer review process. Um, so, so each company is, is, is basically judging the others, um, and ranking them. Um, and, you know, there are certainly, there's certainly elements of, of our business that we've been trying to improve and thinking about, uh, being, being negatives. And, and there's definitely a moment near the end of that first week where we got sort of the results back. And there was a, a, a moment where I realized, wow, we're, we're, we are, we really need to improve on our value proposition. Um, people, you know, people certainly believe in our mission. They think that we have a, a huge opportunity to, to scale, but we're, we're, we're not getting past that first hurdle and we're, we're trying to sell, you know, an upcycled product to consumers. Um, but there, that, that was sort of a moment and we've taken the last three months to improve that. Um, and the feedback that we're getting is very positive and, and, uh, the, the perception is changing. And, and I think that's a, a, a very, very powerful thing. And it's, it's helping to validate what we're doing and the, the take, taking that feedback and executing on it is, is important. And, and we, you know, most entrepreneurs aren't going to have that, that, uh, that benefit, but this program offers that. Um, and they also help us, um, you know, present the company to investors and to, to, to really scale, um, and, and, and get to that next level. And, and I think we're, we're making everyone on, in the cohort group is making great strides, but we're certainly seeing it in, internally as well. Yeah, that's really fantastic. It's great to hear that because, you know, I'm, I'm hearing similar things from all of the companies that I've talked to and it just validates that this process is working and it's such a rare and unique and valuable process. So at this point, I would like to ask you a question that I'm asking everyone, which is, Right at this moment in time, with all that you've accomplished and with where you are at right now, what would you say is one thing about your company and what you've created with it that you are most proud of? So I, I, I'm kind of most proud of, of the difficult decision we made, which was um, to take a hard look at the entire product and basically repackage it, re, you know, re, reformulate it, re, reposition it. Um, at a time when most people would would in, would try to just plow even harder and kind of pedal pedal faster, um, and and then many many ways the the Kroger um, the the Kroger initiative has allowed us to take a 
take a step back and make sure that we're positioning and getting in the right lane and then accelerating. And, and basically what we've done over the summer is reposition, get into the other lane, um, and and then and now we're poised to accelerate. And I think that, you know, that's been a challenge. And and, and, and I think I'm proud of that we, we took the opportunity to kind of tap the brake um, in a way, even though that's – because I think that's one thing that when you're starting a business, things are moving so quickly. Each day is different. And you're so uh, – the tendency is to go even faster and just pedal, pedal harder when, in fact, the right thing to do is to say, hey, our initial formulation was not right. It was good. We liked it. But, but it didn't have enough function for our end consumer. What we needed to do was say, you know, what, are, what is the data pointing to uh, in beverage? And we saw gut health being a very big underserved um, function. And so we said, okay, we need, we need to position the coffee fruit and our beverage and feed it to that consumer um, in a more effective way. And that's what we've done. Uh, so so we're, we're positioning this now as something that really boosts your metabolism, has 25 milligrams of caffeine, and it's good for your gut with prebiotic fiber. And that's something unique uh, out there in the marketplace. And so I'm really proud that we've, we've kind of re, re, repositioned and improved our value proposition. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's always so nice when you have a discovery like that. And one of the things from talking with the other companies in the cohort that I'm hearing consistently, and you just echoed it again beautifully, which is to have the type of feedback from other entrepreneurs and other, you know, startup or founders, or even some of that with more experience, um, is rare. And it sounds like that's what you all have been able to accomplish, which has really been beneficial as opposed to a competitive, like a competition. It sounds like more collaboration going on really amongst all of the companies in this cohort. Yeah, without question. I mean, we have regular calls with one-on-one uh, -on -one with the other founders. Uh, you know, my co-founder and I speak regularly to, to, to the other founders offline sort of, um, and, and we're getting great feedback. I think one challenge as an entrepreneur is, you're going to get 99 no's, you know, out of 100. Um, that's from investors, from buyers, from consumers. You're not going to get feedback from them oftentimes, you know. Um, you know, I've, I can't tell you how many no's I've gotten over my lifetime. And, and unfortunately, over the last two years, I decided to go even deeper in to get more no's. Um, but it's, it's, such, it's such, a, uh, such a benefit to have feedback that is, is constructive. So you're getting... Hey, your product is good, but it, you know, it's it's really a two out of ten, and it could be an eight out of ten if you do this, and and you're not getting that from uh, from other avenues, and this just is a great way to do it. And we're all going through it together in different ways. You know, there are some companies that are, you know, at Series A funding. There are some companies. I think we're the only ones that haven't taken outside money uh, before this started. Um, and uh, so we're, we're, we're benefiting from kind of having a shared uh, life cycle ex experience, but also just being able to give true feedback that you can act on, you know, as opposed to just no or the long baby or the quiet well, and I, and I have to summarize something that you said, Crawford, because I think it's such an important point and really a combination of things. One is you said that you get 99 no's maybe for the one yes that you get. And in this space, I think it feeds right into what you were talking about earlier, which is sometimes as a founder of a startup, when you get a no, you tend to push harder and just keep pushing harder, thinking that that's what you need to do. But if you're not getting the type of feedback you've been getting in this cohort, you don't often have the opportunity to really kind of reevaluate things and see them from that perspective and step back, as you say, and hit the brakes. Because sometimes it sounds like instead of just pushing harder, you might need to actually shift, as you say, and I love that analogy of shift into a different lane and then hit the accelerator. So sounds like that's exactly what's happening, which is fantastic because when I spoke with all the great people at the Kroger Company Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation and Village Capital in episode 23, that's what they were describing and that's what their vision and intention was to create the environment where you all could do it. And it sounds like indeed that's exactly what's happening. So that's wonderful to hear and i wish you a lot of success with what you're doing and i it sounds like you're getting a lot of good information and feedback and evolving as you go through this process so now the important question if i want to find your products or find out more about your company where can i find you where can i find the products and where can i find you on social 
Yeah, so drinkhusky.com uh, is, is the best way. Um, we are in stores, um, kind of a, a smattering of independent stores around the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, and uh, But the, the best way is to, to, to join us on drinkhusky.com and then at drinkhusky on Instagram. And we'll be presenting some very exciting new packaging and, and new branding uh, over the next couple of weeks. So look forward to sharing that. Well, excellent. Thanks. We will definitely promote that. We'll have all the information, those links you just mentioned, and the different ways to contact and follow you and find your products on the show notes page for this particular episode. Well, Crawford, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. It's been a real pleasure learning more about you and about your company, Husky Beverages. Thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate it. Well, that's going to wrap up this particular episode. A special thanks going out once again to my guests, Yoni Medden with Grain for Grain, Kayla Castaneda and Aaron Pontel with Agua Bonita, and Crawford Hawkins with Husky Beverages. So in the next episode, we're going to feature three more of the companies, and then the following episode will have the last four so that we'll introduce you to all 10 companies over the next couple of weeks. I want to give a special thanks to my friends at the Kroger Company, Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation. It's been a real pleasure having this opportunity to meet all of you and then to meet all of these amazing companies that are doing such great work, as well as the incredible people at Village Capital. So you can learn more about what they're doing by going to ZeroHungerZeroWasteFoundation.org. And if you want to learn about Village Capital, just check out VilCap, that's V-I-L-C-A-P.com. If you happen to have an idea for an episode, by all means, send us an email. Go to our website, TooGoodToWastePodcast.com, and shoot us an email under the contact page. Special thanks going out to Sue Marshall for help with creative development and to Ashley Brown, our associate producer on this episode. We'd also like to thank, of course, our sponsors, NetZero. You can find them at netzero.us and the Upcycled Food Association at upcycledfood.org. Too good to waste.